Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters. Best time to start was last week. The next best was yesterday. And the next best is today. Hashtag motivation. Hashtag no excuses. <laughs> my name is Thomas, and I am here, as always, with my very good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you? And what are you drinking today, man? Dude. It's night. It is. I, I'm I, excited. This is the first time in a long time we've recorded. All right. Uh, dude. Good. Just uh, drinking a classic six point. Um, oh my god, sweet action. Totally space kid at it. It's like my go-to. Sweet action. They're always in the fridge in case of. Is that a sweet potato beer? No, nah, nah, I bet yeah. a sweet potato beer could be pretty good actually. I don't know if I have. I've had one, but it does sound interesting. I've never. Yeah. Even, I didn't know that was a thing. Well, my favorite beer is Shock Top Pretzel beer. So what? I've. I, my mind has been opened up to the possibility that weird beers can be very good, and uh, I now want to try a sweet potato beer. But I'm just doing some Jameson, actually. Ah. But I got the Taskmates type, so it's like they age it in beer barrels, and I like it. That's all. It's pretty good. So you packed almost everything for your move except for the most important thing, Jameson. I'm guessing that's coming in the car with you. I kid you not. There is a box out in the living room called – it's labeled – 100 pounds of booze. <laughs> I packed my whole liquor cabinet into a box. And um, as I was doing it, I realized like, wow, we've bought a lot of liquor and then forgotten that we owned it. <laughs> <laughs> because there's, I mean, I, I picked it up and I know what 100 pounds feels like. It's 100 pounds. I have extra tape on the sides of the box. <laughs> but I was like, I'll leave one out. You See, know. For Laura and I, it would just be a box that says one pound of liquor because we only buy it slightly faster than we drink it. <laughs> yeah, you guys don't have much. Like when, whenever I come over, you guys have maybe, I don't know, four or five bottles of random things. It's a top priority to consume it as fast as possible. Well, the problem for us is we get uh, we go, get all excited about making cocktails and then we'll go buy like a huge handle of Campari and like Luxardo and weird things and then never make cocktails after the first night. So there's just full bottles of like liqueurs and add-ins and things like that and then people will leave stuff from parties at our house and never come get it so yeah we're in possession of like 100 pounds of booze but i don't drink most of it because i just like whiskey and i don't know what's that other thing that's kind of dark that i'm space cutting on right now Ruham. rum what Rum? No, not rum. Dude, what are we talking um, about today? Distilled are we wine. talking are you talking about whiskey? <laughs> we are. What's distilled wine? Distilled wine? Oh, uh, sake. Port? Port. No, 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 no. My gosh. It's like Hennessy. Oh, cognac. Cognac, yeah. And mm. uh what's the what is cognac? Cognac is a type of brandy? I am so Yes, brandy. Mm. There it is. I'm sorry, I couldn't let it go because my brain was just like broken for a second. And yeah. Anyway. Today we're talking about business plans. So we've been doing all this online business stuff the whole month and a lot of people who want to start a business think they need to form a business plan. Uh, so we've got Andrew's dad back on the podcast. Mark's been forming business plans and working with businesses of all types for years and years. So we thought we'd have him back on the podcast. And what is this, Mark? You're like fifth time on the show at this point? Uh, I think it's four. Four? I'm saying it's four. Because yeah, yeah. you were on the Father's Day episode. I think that was the first time I ever heard you on the show. And then there was one other time before I was on the show. And then right. pretty right. recently, actually. So, Andrew, what do you have in mind exactly for this episode? So, I think that uh, it's a novel idea to start a business. 
Um, mm-hmm. Don't we all want to just make some money? Um, and then there's like this concept of like, well, Thomas made a business because he has great business sense. And uh, turns out it's it's really like a systematized process that you kind of get accustomed to thinking through. And I wanted to break down the components, kind of talk about what matters. And then uh, like we'll graze high level and then we're going to do another episode where we're diving into the individual components like and, and we'll get into kind of that as we go on. Do you have an idea of what the individual components would be? Like, so for example, um, and my dad, uh, came up with an awesome, uh, bulleted list, but so we'll talk about running room one and, you know, we'll go over like what it is. And then later, like, how do you calculate that? Okay. Um, but we'll kind of get there. So I guess to maybe kick things off, um, what like does coming up with a business plan even mean? And, uh, I think when people hear the word or the term business plan, it's like a scary thing it's like a 30 page document does it have to be that to be what you need no i don't think it needs to be a 30 page document but i think you need to put some time and effort into thinking about what you're going to do so so a good example is uh the town we live in metuchen has a nice main street and somebody decides they can open up no joke a lollipop store and i'm thinking how many lollipops do you need to sell to pay the rent and like all the other stuff so it's really just thinking about you may have a great idea and can you make a living at it? You know, can you cover your costs? So, so what's the plan? And then you could be a great baker or, you know, maybe you're a plumber or electrician, whatever you do, and you're an expert on that, but you know all the things you need to think about to make sure your business is successful. And, you know, plan you know, sounds kind of ominous, but it, it doesn't have to be. It's really just putting down to paper. Let me think this through so that I understand, you know, what, what I have to get done. Okay. So- so is it as simple as, well, how many lollipops do I need to sell? 5000 a month. <laughs> it is, because if they did that math, they wouldn't have opened the store. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> so did they actually open the store? They opened the store. Is it still in business? No, they now combined with another store that sells pastries and stuff. Okay. But I'm not really sure how long that'll last, because uh, now they came off of Main Street and went to sort of like a side street. Uh, but I, I don't think they, they did the math, and they missed, they, they could have the best lollipops in the world. I don't know. But I new. just, I don't ever find myself having like a hankering for a lollipop, you know, like maybe like a donut or something, but I just, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. No, to me either. So but that's, one of, that's, a, I think that's a good example to use. So Andrew, I didn't, uh, I know you wanted me to like not say a ton off air. So mm-hmm. what I was going to tell you earlier is that, um, I wanted to talk about the lean startup in this episode. Because the framework and methodology that Eric, I think his name is Reese, Eric Reese, talks about in that book is um, it's really good for starting small and testing an idea and not doing something like opening an entire lollipop store without really knowing what your demand is going to be right away. Go on. So I kind of want to introduce a little bit of those concepts into here and maybe Mark can play off of those. But one of the things he talks about is like there's this loop you have to go through. So basically... When you have a business idea, you just have like a ton of unknowns and you have basically hypotheses. So it's all about pretty much injecting the scientific method into entrepreneurship and into starting a business. 
So the two hypotheses, like the main ones you have when you have your business idea is the value hypothesis where you're asking yourself, like, does this product or service actually deliver value in a way that's innovative or better or different than what's already on the market? Or maybe there's a market that isn't being served, like hyper local or something. And then there's the growth hypothesis, which is how do I get new people to find my product or service? And he calls them like leap of faith at the uh, hypotheses at first because you don't know the answers to either of those questions. So the whole idea is you want to find the the minimum viable product, like the least amount of work you can do, deliver it as fast as possible to a target group that you're that you're gunning for, and then get data as, as fast as well, you can. I want, I want to take a step back because uh, if we go to the lollipop example, right? Mm-hmm. So this person who created the store, maybe they're a lollipop connoisseur. You know, they love lollipops. So is the hypothesis do people want to buy a lot of lollipops and then you open a store and $20,000 later it turns out they don't well so you don't just have to open like you don't have to open a store to to find the answer to that question again it's like finding the minimum viable product to get some initial data so mm-hmm. what if you could do a pop up at um you know like a fair that's going on on a weekend or something or like a farmers market could you do like a farmers market stand where you sell lollipops and if like they're ridiculously popular then maybe you know there's some uh, some promise there for a store there's actually a vegan bakery in my city and they don't have a storefront but they're at the farmers market on the weekends during the summer hmm. and otherwise i think they just do like catering from their house or something like that. So, um, to, to go along that line, um, dad, if you were to say, follow that train of thought, and I, and I think that is a good starting point to get like a minimally viable Mm -hmm. product going. Um, I actually still think that's not a good idea because you haven't fleshed out, like just because you go and do the pop-up shop, like, I mean, and, and to go to your, point with the lollipops is how many lollipops do you need to pay for the pop-up shop? I don't know. Do you sell them for a dollar? Do you sell them for $20? Um, how do you, like, what is necessary even to get to the minimally viable product stage? Well, I think first, just jumping off what Thomas said is, are you just looking for, for a business that you think will be viable and innovative, or do you have an expertise and you want to build a business off of that? Because I think the approach is very different. Um, Mm -hmm. I think if you just want to try to find a business that will add a lot of value, you know, people will love and, you know, you'll do well, that's a very different approach and you could do a lot of research beforehand. I think what happens, let's just use lollipops again as an example. I think, you know, maybe they're experts at making lollipops, but they didn't do the math or the research. How popular will these be? I don't know if they did any test runs anywhere. If they did, I don't think they did it in our town. So I think if you say, okay, I am, uh, I'm really good at consulting and I want to be a consultant um, versus, um, you know, want to find a good business. I think it's, it's two different approaches. And just in thinking about this episode, I tried to break it up into, you know, different types of barriers to entry, which means like how challenging is it going to be to start my business? And I think if you do, you know, a blog, a podcast, uh, you're a consultant, you're a lawyer or accountant, the cost of getting that up and running are much lower than, if you're a plumber or an electrician, you have to buy a truck and equipment, mm. or you can mm. open a lollipop store and you have to get, you know, brick and mortar and, and figure all that out. So I think all of the research and uh, math you're going to do are very similar. 
It's just how much cost is it going to be up front is a lot different. So, you know, I, I was just thinking about, you know, barriers to entry. Um, you know, what are the things you need to think about? Well, what are your capital requirements? So if you can open up a storefront or you can open a restaurant, the capital requirements are really huge. Uh, if you're going to be a pet sitter, as an example, the capital requirements are very low. So I think you need to think about mm-hmm. what is it I want to do and do all the research around that. Um, I think you need some of what you said, Thomas, what's going to differentiate your business from everyone else? Because, you know, there's a lot of other people doing similar things. What's going to make you different and, and you successful? Uh, and I think people need to think about the plan of how long will this take to do? How much will it really cost? What do I need to live? What is it going to cost to, to run the business? Um, and then you need to start thinking about um, cash requirements and, and burn rates. So, to yeah, to be sorry. a devil's advocate, um, you know, you said like, for example, to, to be a consultant has very low capital requirements. I mean, you can literally right. just go out there and be like, hey, do you want to hire me? Right. And they hire you. Um, so does that mean that no matter what, you will run a successful consulting business because the no. costs are zero? No, not at all, because people have to know you're there. Your limit is how many hours in a day or a week you have. So once you're working the maximum amount, unless you hire someone else, you've reached your maximum. So there's a, an upward limit on how much you could earn. Uh, getting people to know who you are and what you do. You have some requirements around you know, liability insurance and, and stuff like that. So no, it, it doesn't mean you'll be successful. And you got to uh, look at the market. Like who are your competition? Like, I mean, if you're, if you're an online life coach, sure you have a, a broad customer base, but you've got a zillion other online life coaches who want to do the exact same thing. And then if you're a consultant for, I don't know, lollipop shops in your town, like how many lollipop shops are there and how many other consultants are available for them to potentially pay? over you exactly so you have to scope out your competition as well but this is why i like finding a minimum viable product and i guess this is this might pertain more to like what you said to an idea that's maybe not related so much to i have a ton of expertise let me get into an established business but i think it might even uh, apply there in some ways if you can find some sort of minimal viable minimum viable product or minimum viable service that you can do for a limited period of time, you can go get data without losing a lot of your time or resources. So the, the sooner you can get your hands dirty in like a low risk kind of way, I think the sooner you're going to be able to figure out whether or not this will actually work. Uh, but again, it's a, it's a balancing act, you know, between that and between the good analysis that's going to help you not get in trouble. And it can be very overwhelming, but if you break it down into really small pieces of the 50 things you need to think about and you just do one at a time, it's not really as overwhelming. Uh, and there, there are so many resources out there like uh, the Small Business uh, Administration that can has a, a ton of information and templates and formats for just about any small business you could think of mm-hmm. that could help you get started without even thinking about taking out loans and everything else. I think the miscalculation most people take, uh, make is that how many lollipops will it take? What, what do I need just to cover my own personal rent, food on the table, gas for my car, that type of thing. To make it worth um, your how, time. To make it worth my time. How much, how long is it going to take me to ramp up my business to a point where it's covering the costs of the business and my personal costs. And a lot of it, you know, you know, having a web presence, advertising, 
uh, getting people to know about you, that can be very time consuming. And if you're not good at it, it could never happen. So I think that I'm sorry. No, I was going to, I wanted to ask you to, to maybe build on that is so th- there's like a, a few parameters, right? And I think that you can go out with say the lollipop example, open a pop-up shop, sell them for a quarter each and sell a million lollipops and it could not be a viable business. Right. Or, you know, and you can go out there and sell them for $200 each, sell one, and it cannot be a viable business. You know, so how how do you constrain your experiment or, or what things you need to consider so that you could even run it in, in, a, in a sense? Right. So I, li- I like some of what Thomas said. So, you know, if you're going to do a lollipop shop, the first thing you don't do is open up a store and see how they, they go. You do like Thomas said, you, you go to some fairs, you try to sell them other ways just to see how much can you sell them for, what is it costing you, do people like them, and get your name out there. Uh, I think people don't do that. They don't test the market. And you know, the most expensive business to, to run is something that's brick and mortar, especially where you're cooking something, whether it's lollipops or, or meals. Mm-hmm. So, and, and even if you're thinking, hey, I, I want to open up a restaurant, I'm a great chef, same thing. You could do, as Thomas said, you could test that in other places. Um, you know, you could do events. So I think people jump in. I think if people did the math, they just said, okay, I'm opening a restaurant and then did the math, they would just walk away rather than trying to find a way to, how do I, maybe it's going to take me a year to get to the actual physical restaurant versus opening the restaurant next month. And I just, I just fail. Mm -hmm. So I think part of it is planning all of that out and understanding it. And it may seem a little overwhelming, but there's a lot of data Mm -hmm. out there. If you open a a restaurant, you know how much meals generally go for in your area. You know how much it's going to cost you to buy all the ingredients. You know what your rent is going to be, but it's a huge capital outlay in terms of the kitchen and everything else. So I think if you, you know, kind of start small, uh, you know, you can get it to work out. There's actually, just as, as an example, there is a, uh, a fair that we have in Metuchen every weekend where uh, people sell fruits and foods and stuff like that. And there's this one food company that actually sells a ton of stuff there and then also has a place where if you like their stuff a lot, you can go buy it at the store. And that's, a, you know, mm-hmm. they built up a very big following. And then, you know, you, of course you want to go to the store to buy the stuff because you love it and you can't get it all year round. So I think, you know, test marketing is huge. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a business in my town. They sell ice cream sandwiches that are made here in town. Uh, and for the longest time, they didn't have their own store. They just were out of fence and stuff and they wanted to open their own store, but they realized like it's tough to have a store that just sells ice cream sandwiches. So they ended up partnering with a coffee shop. That's uh, their main location is not in the main downtown area. They're kind of like a little bit West of the main downtown area, but they're pretty popular. Uh, so they ended up opening like a satellite second location of that coffee shop that doesn't have any seating. It's just like a place to go get coffee and then the other half of that building is an ice cream shop thing. So you can go and you can get your ice cream sandwiches. I think that's where they're actually making their ice cream sandwiches now. So it kind of like gives them a space to make their products for all the events they go to. And you can get coffee that's that also splits the rent and makes it a more attractive place to go to. Yeah. But yeah, so like what you were saying with, re- with restaurants, um, I know a lot of people look at starting a business, the idea and they think of, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or they think of like Jeff Bezos getting in his car and driving across the country and just being like, bet everything on the Internet, bet the whole farm. But a lot of businesses that, you know, the most for the most part, I think a business you're going to start 
has examples out there in different locations or maybe even different industries but with very similar um, oh my God. features that Dude. you can go analyze. Perfect segue. Uh, you, came, you found this list from this book. I guess it was the Personal MBA, which is, is am I right? Personal MBA? Yeah, that's from the Personal MBA. If you're, if you're thinking of the uh, value creation types list, right? So I, yeah, so I, I thought it was really interesting. And I think we've teased it for a while that there's really 12 ways to provide value and get paid or 12 general sense. Do you want to kind of talk about that? Uh, yeah, I can do that. I do want to finish the point mm. real quick because it's it was not as good of a segue as you thought, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I do want to talk about that. It's really good. But I just wanted to say, like, for the vast majority of people starting a business, there's someone out there you can go study. And I did this forever. Like every aspect of my business, I've went and found examples of people doing it well, whether they're doing it on a totally different topic or whether they're doing it on a totally different business. There's always intersections of what I'm doing, what someone else is doing. And I can be like, all right, they're doing that. And sometimes I'll go talk to them and ask them, like, why is that working? Why, you know, what's the climate like that makes you do this or makes this decision? Um, there was one time I wanted to interview a coffee shop owner for my podcast because I've got a friend who wants to start her own coffee shop someday. So I ended up talking with this guy for an hour and a half. He basically like spilled the beans in the whole business. And in trying to find his contact information and just like prepping myself for the topic, I learned that there is a podcast for coffee shop owners, basically. It's like all about the coffee industry. And I ran across a ton of blog posts basically like laying out, here's the margin in the coffee shop industry. Like here's what you can expect to make on a cup of coffee. Here's exactly how many cups of coffee you got to sell per day. And here's why the vast majority of successful coffee shops have a pastry case. It's because even though coffee's sort of high margin-ish, it's just cheap. And it's not high enough margin to really pay your bills. So that's why you kind of need to sell muffins and stuff like that too. So there's all these best practices and models that you can follow or at least use as inspiration to give yourself a kickstart rather than just sitting there with like Microsoft Word open being like, we will sell lollipops. We will make them $2 because my mom said she would pay $2 when I asked her if she would pay $2. Like you, what you want to do is validate or kill your assumptions as fast as possible. You can do that through testing and you can do that through studying what has actually been done in the real world by other people. I agree. But I also think that um, you could use a bakery as an example or let's say a coffee shop. What are all the other things that are associated with your business that you can do besides the primary business that's going to make money for you? So, so I'll give you an example. So a bake shop, maybe that's all they really want to do. But a lot of bakeries make their money not off of the stuff you go in and buy, but providing restaurants or hotels and other businesses, you know, with baked goods. That's all done, you know, mm-hmm. at another time. There was a, a guy in town just opened uh, yet another coffee shop, which we certainly don't need. And I had been having my car repairs. I stopped in and I just wound up asking this guy like a million questions because <laughs> it's got a corner store. There's other coffee shops. And I said, you know, it's like. What are you going to do? He says, well, you know, I'm going to open up at 6 a.m. because people pass by and there's no other coffee shop open at 6 a.m. So it's going to get right on the way to the train station. And, oh, yeah. Uh, in New Jersey, I could get a license to have wine without a liquor license and I could sell wine at night. And I've got uh, bands that are going to play at night and I've got artwork that people. Put. So he actually thought about what are the 20 other things he could do besides his core business 
that's going to add revenue and draw people in so he can build his business. And I think that's what people need to do. You need to think about, you know, your core business may be a bake shop, but what mm-hmm. are the other things you could do? You know, a lot of, of, of uh, Thai restaurants and Malaysian restaurants, they probably make three to four times as much off of takeout than they do off of people coming in and sitting down. So I think you need to think in those terms. And I think, as you said, if you do the research, all right, what are the, what are all the things that surround my business that I could do? You could have, you know, a successful business. Yeah, absolutely. So Andrew, you wanted me to go over the 12 standard forms of value. Yeah. yeah. So these are the 12 forms of value as, uh, as put forth by Josh Kaufman, who is the author of the personal MBA. Um, so I don't know if like everyone in the world agrees with this list, but I think it's pretty comprehensive and the personal MBA is like, it's a really good book. Um, I just think he, go read he broke it. them down really well. Yeah, absolutely. So go read that book. I think it's like, a, it's like the best distilled business education that I have seen in book form. Um, and if you don't have time to read the book, Derek Sivers has a really good summary. Well, not really a summary. It's just notes like his stream of consciousness notes on his website. Um, it's like Sivers.org and then slash books, I think. But either way, go intake that book's content in some way or shape or form if you're going to start a business. So the 12 standard forms of value, you have products, which are like a single tangible item or something that you sell and deliver for more than it costs to make it. You've got your services. Uh, you have shared resources. So you're creating like an asset that can be used by a lot of people. So maybe a co-working facility or... Um, you know, a space that you rent out for parties, a subscription. So I don't know, like, um, what's that loot crate thing? Dollar or, Shave Club. Or Dollar Shave Club. Or what do you do, like Whiskey Club or something like that? Mm. Bourbon bourbon box or something? Oh, no. What was that, like, box of cured meats that you were subscribed oh, to for Carnivore a while? Club. Yeah, that was Carnivore awesome. Club. Yeah. I need to subscribe to that when I'm in Denver. Man, that sounds great. There's a number five is Resale. So basically you're acquiring something from a wholesaler and selling it to a retail buyer. So you're basically being a middleman at that point. Uh, leasing, there's being an agency. So uh, it says market and sell an asset or a service you don't own on behalf of a third party and then collect the percentage of the transaction, which is real that kind agent. of what we do? Or well, real estate agent? But No, so I, mean, I, guess I think like, we're the next one. Audience aggregation, get the attention of a group of people with certain characteristics and sell access in the form of advertising to another business. Okay. So yeah, I guess like, yeah, that's kind of what we do, but you could argue that like affiliate marketing is almost like agency because you aren't, you aren't selling advertising space. You're just, you're simply taking a cut of the sale. So when we do an affiliate deal, that would be agency type even though it doesn't seem like an agency because we're not like an agent that's going out to individual clients. Um, but when like, say I do a sponsorship on my YouTube channel and I charge, I don't know how many thousand dollars for how many views that would be audience aggregation. A hundred thousand dollars is what you charge, right? I charge a hundred thousand dollars for 5,000 views and I don't budge on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, nine is loans. So being a money lender, 10 is options, so offering the ability for someone to take an action for a fixed percentage of time. So I'm just like, hey, uh, I'm going to sell this piece of property for, you know, I'm going to open up to the market, but for the next week, I'll sell you the option to buy it uh, for 50 bucks. And it's kind of like like, what a wholesaler does. Yeah. Uh, 11 is insurance, and then 12 is capital. So basically just purchasing ownership in a business, you know. Mm. So those are the 12 standard forms of value. And I think like, 
if you're going to go off that and try to figure out, you know, what kind of business you want to run, it might be good to read the book and read his examples because he's got an example and a paragraph or, or three or four paragraphs for each and every one of those value types. So I think one but of it the, is good to like illuminate all the possibilities out there. I, I think like uh, a great way to start, you know, you have this like concept of something you want to do. Um, one, like, does it fit? Like, what category does it fit into? And two, I think it should, you should have the ability for your business to fit into multiple of these, like, ways to provide value. For example, Listen Money Matters does audience aggregation. We have advertisers in the podcast. Like you said, we are potentially an agency in the sense that we do affiliate advertising, we sell a product. Um, we're potentially going to start uh, like consulting. So like if you are only a lot, like it's kind of like your example with a coffee shop where why they always have pastry, you know, and you have multiple products. Um, I guess that's only one. Coffee person. shops are just, okay, one. but you could make the argument that a coffee shop, and I would, I would stand by this argument. I would make the argument that a coffee shop is selling a service. Or a shared resource. Actually, maybe it's a shared resource. Mm. Because it's I don't go space. to Starbucks. Yeah, I don't go to Starbucks just for the coffee. I mean, I like my latte every day, mm. but I go there to work. I go there because it provides me a place to work. And they if potentially I had have coffee super, beans to sell you or art on the wall. Yeah, know, they've got that. You know, but like if there was a super kick-ass co-working space right down the road for me and they had free lattes, I would pay for that. Hmm. So like you have to ask yourself, what value are you providing to your customers? Starbucks knows that the, it's not just coffee that they're providing to their customers. They're also providing a place to meet with friends or a place to go get some work done. That's why they, they partner with Google and they have like by far the fastest Wi-Fi of any coffee shop in my city because they care about that thing. They care about like the customer experience has to be excellent on all fronts. Okay, so... I think that we we agree that we we have to come up with a plan. We agree that the, it should probably be broke. Probably should definitely be broken down into small testable chunks. Mm -hmm. um, I we've discussed like where values provided. Uh, Dad, you were talking in the beginning on how you looked at this lollipop store and you're like, ah, how many lollipops do I need to sell right. to even cover the rent? In terms of numbers and even just like back of the envelope. What considerations need to fall into these tests for it to even be worthy of a test? Well, I think the one thing we really didn't talk about is the whole money factor. And I, I don't know what the percentage is now, but something like 80% of all new businesses fail, not because they didn't have a great idea, because they didn't anticipate their cash needs in the time it took to ramp up. So mm -hmm. they ran out of cash and, you know, first year done. And I think that's the part that, yes, people need to have a great product and, you know, they need to be able to, uh, in, you know, have people want to buy that product, service, whatever it is. But it, you need to plan it out because maybe it's going to take you a year or maybe it'll only take six months. But if you run out of cash before that, it doesn't matter how good your idea was, how good your product is. So I think the money part is like really important just just to understand, like. You know, if you're going to do a storefront, well, how much is that going to cost me? What's the commitment to that? You know, if you're going to do lollipops, you know, what does the equipment cost and how much are you going to be in for? Um, so I, I think everything you said is right. I think the money part about planning it out, and it's not that difficult to figure out, you know, whether you're going to be, you know, a consultant or start a blog, which is very low cost, or you're going to be a plumber and you have to buy a truck and equipment and stuff like that. Um, and then there's also other things to consider like, 
what are the requirements locally around licensing or you know getting a permit um you know some things required depending upon where you, where you want to open your business more yeah re- regulatory requirements than, than other things mm-hmm. so i think you can do all that research and you can figure out what how much cash do i need because it's going to take nine months to get there mm. before you just open up that that lollipop shop so one cost that that like immediately pops into my mind is like the value of my time, right? The value of my time is not free. I get paid by a, a comp, iHeartRadio. So at least that's like some sort of litmus test for the value of my time. However, when I, if, if you add up the hours that I've spent on Listen Money Matters, or you took the amount of money that I've earned divided by the amount of hours I've, I've spent on it, I probably make like a dollar an hour, right? But yeah. it, it's kind of like this upfront cost where in the beginning I'm making no money for me and at the end now per hour I make a lot so how how do you account for that and or or is it even important to account for your time um I I don't know that it is as long as you're not you know working 24 hours a day I mean that's the one thing that's kind of free in a way because it's how much commitment you have to what you want to do so let me give you another, another example let's say you're an accountant you're working for some company and you really want to start your own practice so you just on the weekends and at night you start taking time to build that up so here it is you still have a job you're still getting your benefits your outlay is almost zero and all you're really putting in like you said is your time something like that is easier to kind of ease into to see if it's going to work and then when it gets to a certain point you say you know what I'm at a point now I could actually quit my day job and I might be in the hole for a little bit, but I know I could build this up. So I think a lot of it depends upon the, the business that you're in and what you want to do. Yeah. Um, and that'll determine your path of, of how do I get there. And it, it depends on your mindset too. And that's part of the reason I wanted to do that episode about lifestyle businesses versus, versus like growth minded businesses. Um, but your time, your time is like one of the hardiest assets you have. It's very flexible and, you know, like not everyone's going to agree with this. And I guess like if you were hyper rational, you could sit down and be like, how much is my time worth? But if you have like a vision for something you want to see in the world or you have a vision for for being more financially free or for being more free to make your own choices and work on your terms at some point in the future, like at least for the first couple of years, who cares how much of your time it takes? Because you should be willing to put in as much as it takes to make what you want to have happen, happen and to, to beat out your, your competition. But dude, so to, I think you need to care more about like, what are the physical limitations of my business? What are the capital requirements? What do mm-hmm. I need? What are my startup costs? What are my fixed ongoing costs? And what are my variable costs based on whether I'm selling a product or otherwise? I, I agree with you that, you know, your time is, technically free and, and you definitely have to uh, load it in up front. However, there, there's uh, like a fine line between putting in a hundred hours towards something that has potential, could become a thing, whatever, versus a hundred hours where uh, it, there's no chance for it to go anywhere, you know, and just because your time's free doesn't mean you have to keep running like, it wrong. I honestly think you don't get to the, like you don't get to the point where you're, you're, choosing your time like what the value of your time is uh it's not, it's not the value of your like, time but i think that's like the the biggest you should be able fear to validate is that you're going to do before. this thing and it's going to be a way and not only you're going to fail and waste all your time but you're also going to like lose your money you know 
Like, yeah. So think about your money. Think about the physical assets you stand to lose or what you're going to need to prop this business up. But when you're validating the idea, you're asking about the value it's going to provide to customers and the value it might generate for you over time before you're thinking about like how much of my time is this going to take, you know, cause it might be a hobby business. And sure, if it's a hobby business and you're just like, I really like mowing people's lawns, but I only want to put two hours in a week, you know, classify it as a hobby business. But if you want to build something that supports you, Validate it based on the value it's going to provide and then put in as much time as it takes. Because even if it fails, you're going to learn valuable lessons. You're going to make connections. There's going to be silver linings to that cloud, you know? I, I agree. One, one thing we didn't talk about is uh, you, have, you have a great idea. And, you know, what about crowdfunding? I mean, there are a lot of, there. Are, you know, I don't know what the percentages are. I'm sure a lot of people have one product, that's it, and they die. But I think there are a lot of successful businesses that started with crowdfunding, you uh, oversubscribed, everybody loves it, you know, and didn't really have to put in any of their own cash. It was all other people's cash and their time. So, you know, depending upon what you're, obviously you can't do that with a bake shop, but you could do with lollipops, you know, so like depending upon what your idea is, you can use other people's money, whether it be loans, which is, you know, challenging because you could wind up in a bigger hole or just, you know, crowdfunding. You know, it's interesting. We know people who uh, opened a Mexican like taco restaurant and they did it through Indiegogo and the, the you'd pay and then you'd get like tacos, like, you know, three tacos at this tier or three tacos and a margarita or, and a hat. And they, they they didn't fund the whole thing, but they funded a significant portion through people like pre buying their food. That's interesting. I could see how that would work in a bigger city because as long as you you can build the hype, like mm-hmm. there's enough people who could stand to actually show up and benefit from that. In a town like mine, I think it would be tougher because I don't live basically like attached to New York City. So we really have a very limited amount of people for crowdfunding. Uh, but that's cool. I've actually never seen like a restaurant done through crowdfunding. But I do have a friend who like his – whole business or at least a big part of it is crowdfunding uh funding consulting and um he's he's a friend from college but he ended up helping john lee dumas crowdfund this really successful journal thing that they made and like it wasn't something i would have bought but they did pretty well with it so that's definitely a way you can fund it and i mean we didn't even talk about funding in general but that is something you could think about like how am i going to get the startup capital i need for this business well you can crowdfund you can take a loan or you can take like venture capital if you're doing like a startup model or you can bootstrap it yourself or ask friends and family. You know, there's a lot of ways to do it. I, I've seen some people max out every credit card they, they had, which yep. again, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend. And they yeah. just they, they made it. They got it to work. Their, their thing was successful. They paid off their credit cards. So some people do, you know, wacky stuff like that. And a lot of it depends upon whether you can ease into whatever it is you want to do or you really need to just quit your day job and dive in and yeah, absolutely you know doing the math beforehand you know you'll be much better situated so I, on, I don't feel like i have to recommend maxing your credit card out because no, like i would type either. of I, the type of person who's gonna max their credit out card out for a startup is the type of person who doesn't give a shit about my advice in the first place <laughs> like they are so passionate about their vision they're gonna do it so yeah i can go ahead and say like don't max your credit card yeah, i agree <laughs> so i feel like there, like any like there will be credit cards whomever people will give you money Right. But like, how do you know how much you need? Like you want to open this lollipop shop. Do you need a hundred thousand? Do you need like five? 
well, that's why you need to do the plan. So some yeah. stuff is really easy. This is what my rent is. This is how much it costs to make a lollipop. This is what I need to survive. But then right. to Thomas's point, what you don't know is how many of these can I sell? You know, that's right. the part you don't really know. So you have you to just start making analysis. assumptions. You can't. So but, remember, startup costs, yep. which is like you got to buy the machines or you got to buy, you know, something that is a depreciable asset that's going to have a useful life, but you buy it up front and you basically don't have to pay any more for it for a while. You have fixed costs, which is your rent, your utility costs. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know if employees are a fixed cost. Employees might be a fixed cost, uh, but then you have like your, your variable costs. So it's like, if I'm going to sell 100,000 lollipops, well, then it's a variable cost for the sugar and all the other ingredients and the uranium that goes into my lollipops. So that's a variable cost. And so you can sit down and do the math and be like, all right, $100,000 in lollipop sales is going to cost me uh, $80,000 in lollipop ingredients. So I stand to make $20,000 in profit off of that. Is that profit going to pay my bills? And, you know, is it worth it for me to build the, the business off of that? Well, he, he mentioned this this word, assumptions, and I feel like it's like black magic. Like what? Like what is what? an like? How, so, what are you assuming, and how do you come up with these assumptions? You just like just a hundred thousand people are going to come in the store in the first month. Like how do you extrapolate? Yeah, but I mean, you make your assumptions based off of the data you can get, and then you test it. That's I mean, that's why it's I'm being the devil's advocate here. I'm like trying to like right. suck it out of you guys. But yeah, so let me let me give you an example. When I was 18 years old, I started my first web design business, and I actually wrote a business plan for it. And I was you like, you would write a business plan at 18 years old. <laughs> in my defense i was in a okay i was about to say in my defense i was in a business club but that's not helping my case at all and you founded it right <laughs> no i didn't find it uh it was business professionals of america it's like a high school club that's all over the country but yeah one of the events i did for their competition was i had to write a business plan so i wrote a business plan for my web design business and i didn't really do much research i mean i guess i listened to um the Boag World podcast while walking through cornfields. So I kind of like knew some stuff about the web design industry, but I never went out and did research about how many businesses need my services in this area. Like how many crappy websites are there in Des Moines? I just sat down and I was like, I bet I can get this many clients per month. Total mm -hmm. just bullshit assumption pulled out of nowhere. And I bet I can charge. Uh, I think I still have the website up where I have my pricing tiers. And I was like, I bet I can charge $300 for like a website with 15 pages which uh, now sold. I would charge like $10,000 I have a website for you to do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you want 18-year-old me's code on any web server of yours. It's going to be terrible. But it was totally just assumptions. And it was you know, it was like a 10-page Word document with like, here's how I'm going to market. I'm going to print out flyers from vistaprint.com and I'm going to nail them to the coffee shop bulletin boards in my area and I'll put a magnet on my car and drive around and hope I get clients that way. Well, that didn't work. So, I mean, me, like, I think like 80% of the stuff my business plan was complete crap and didn't work. And what then ended up working was just me going out and hustling for clients actively or getting people that I knew to have me build them websites. Well, let me give you another example. There was this one financial services firm I was working for, and they decided they were selling off the business that we were in. And this one guy that, that worked for me, they needed our help. It was going to take a year to sell this business off. And this guy was probably making 
let's say $150,000, $200,000 a year, had been there for 15 years, and he was going to get some cash at the end by staying the year. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy a franchise. So for months, he was doing all this research on all the different franchises, how much they cost. And it turned out that, and it's, it's a lot more now, but something, and I forget which one it was, let's say it was a Dunkin' Donuts, whatever it was, it was going to cost $500,000. And after he paid everything, the mm-hmm. franchise cost, the rent, all the employees and everything else, he was going to pull out $60,000 a year. And wow. I said, I have a better idea. Why don't you keep your $500,000? Just get a job of $60,000 a year <laughs> and you're ahead of the game. So stuff like that where you need to think about, you know, you know the overall impact. And, and another example which you know is more personal. So my, my father had had a floor scraping business when I was very young, and you know he started out. You need truck, you need equipment, and you don't make money unless people know who you are. So even though you could do some advertising and stuff like that, most of it is by word of mouth, and it mm-hmm. probably takes years to build it up, and then and then you're kind of limited. And and my father was really good at floor scraping, and he was a carpenter and stuff like that. But he and I was too young to offer any advice, but he didn't have the business knowledge. Okay, how do I leverage that? Because I'm working seven days a week, so this is the most I can make. But he could have branched out and gotten other people to work for him and bought more equipment. So I think it's also that what's the bigger picture around your time and what you're offering and how you can leverage that up. And it's not just about money, but it's about getting back all the time you put in and and getting some financial freedom, you know, around that. So I think, again, it, it always comes down to money because you either fail because you don't have enough or, you know, because you haven't planned it out. And mm-hmm. a business plan, you know, for a lot of people, they get glossy eyed and like who wants to do a business plan? But it's not really. And again, we could do this, you know, in another episode if you want. It's not really that challenging to do. And, yeah. you know, either you'll wind up coming up with this amazing plan and you're going to get it to work. or You're going to say, you know what, I think I need to come up with another idea because, you know, the the running room I need is just too long and I'm going to run out of cash long before this thing gets to where I need it to be. What is running room? Yeah, absolutely. So running room is you've got, I don't know, I'm making this up, $50,000 cash in the bank and that's going to pay for all of your operating costs and your personal costs. And when you run out of that cash, you're out of business. So how long is it going to take you to where now you, you know, instead of it, you need a dollar a month, you're making a dollar 10 versus you need a dollar a month and you're making 50 cents. You need to figure out your running room because if you don't have enough running room, then you need to save more money or find other ways to finance it. So, you know, you could, you could get there. Yeah. It's also known as your runway, yeah. which is probably the term that you and I are more familiar with. Okay. So read so all them startup blogs to, to distill down like where we've come. So, uh, you're picking like an area that you're going to provide value. Um, you're going to determine the costs of the business, like rent, how much it costs mm-hmm. to buy the lollipops, the materials to make them. And then you're going to look at your running room, right? So say you have $50,000 and you're going to, with some assumptions, determine how long you will last if you sell and grow. Like the first month you sell 100 lollipops, second month you yeah. sell 500 and you see if it's feasible. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I think yeah, Thomas's points around the assumptions that you build need to be based off of real world. That's just stuff you read off of the internet. Like Tom said, you go, you talk to the another lollipop store owner somewhere else, or you talk to a bake shop owner, and you get some real life, this is what it's all about. 
and that gives you a much better idea of what everything will cost. I think, and I don't know what the percentage is, 80% of everything you read on the internet's wrong. You can get a lot of really good information if you use the right sources, but yeah. I think you just, you need to do all of that research up front as well. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of factors in your individual case that don't apply to what you read, you know? Like I can go look at somebody else with a big audience on YouTube or something, but like their audience is maybe a different age range than mine. And it's like, oh, that person's making 10 grand a month off of an audience of only 100,000. They only get 5,000 views a video and they're selling like a course or something. Well, I could do that. And then I realized like, well, I have a completely different set of people. So that probably wouldn't work for me because maybe my set of people aren't trying to start a business and they have a bunch of money in the bank. They're actually just like a high school kid with no money. So I need to do something different, you know? So you do have to go out and test your hypotheses as much as you can on your particular set of circumstances. I want to like touch on the, the asking someone who's doing the business piece, because I think Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people are just like afraid to ask for things um, yeah. Thomas, you are ridiculously prolific with reaching out to people that you admire, uh, quickly becoming friends with them, and then getting a ton of information. Uh, you, Dad, you just basically explain, and I, I know you, so I know like you pretty much go out and you do this often, just kind of picking like people's brains and seeing how the business works. Uh, if you admire someone's business... They, they will talk to you about it until the end yeah. of time. Like, yeah. I mean, you hear Thomas talk about it incessantly. You hear me talk about it incessantly. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the coffee, the guy at the coffee shop would have talked to you for weeks about his business. Yeah. So like all you have to do is ask and they will literally give you the keys to the kingdom. I Just agree. Ask, you know, I have always subscribed to what I like to call the fan first mentality. So I'm a fan first. I am not the person who reaches out and like, give me, give me, give me first. Mm. You know, it's like that Gary Vaynerchuk, jag, 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 right hook kind of thing, except for like it's not with customers. It's just with individual contact. So the way I do it online, because a lot of the people in my industry are online, I'll share their work first. I'll comment on it. I'll be a fan. And then eventually I'll reach out, you know, and eventually I'll get into a conversation where I can talk shop with them. But I'm not just reaching out individually. Like, you know, first thing, the first thing I ever hear from me is, hey, can you tell me how you do this, this and this? You know, and I know from experience now because I have I get emails every single day. It's not that I don't want to share what I know. It's just like I have so much going on and I I already have I already have an audience that I need to serve. Like if you're coming out of left field and I've never heard of you before and you're like, hey, tell me how I can do the same thing you do. It's like I'm not always going to have the energy and the time to do that, nor the desire, because I don't know who you are. And, you know, they say flattery get you everywhere and it really does. Yeah, it does. And if you if you email Thomas and you ask him for video tips, I he probably won't even respond to you anyways, but if you email Thomas and you write some ridiculous thoughtful email about how he makes his videos, Thomas will not be able to control himself from writing an essay <laughs> back to you. Seriously. There's a better chance. Yeah. Um I've been thinking about this a lot lately though cuz I don't think like, you know, they often say like, if you want to make a good impression, you have to show interest in the other person, right? But and, it's like, honest. Really you have to be honest. You can't like blow yeah. smoke up their ass. No. I think people can see through that. So I get that and I agree with that. But I also think that it isn't just about showing interest in the other person. It isn't just about showing genuine interest in the other person. I think you have to have something that piques their interest a little bit. You have to show something that you value. have value, that yeah. you so are I, my, intelligent like, or... 
if I have a motto in life, it's show up and have something to show. So like if you show up and, you know, I know you're trying to make a connection with me and you have like nothing to show you. I mean, maybe you're asking me for business tips, but you have literally you've done nothing so far. You're just like, I'm thinking about it. And I get a lot of people who are just like, oh, I'm thinking about starting a YouTube channel. I'm thinking about starting a podcast. Can you give me some tips? And I'm just like, dude, I never asked anybody for shit before I started. Like, there's an Eminem lyric about that. Like, go try some things. And if I can, if I can see that you have made some initial efforts or you've been doing it for a while, I'm like, okay, I think this person has promise because they're not just coming out of the woodwork asking me for advice before starting anything. Like, I want to see you try something first, especially if it's a low risk industry like blogging or YouTubing. You know, you lose nothing by making a video and throwing it up there. Mm-hmm. So, like, do a few. Get some, you know, get some experience, get some stubble on your chin and then ask me some questions. You know, I don't want to hear people who just have an idea to do something. You know, that's why the Internet's there. You can research without asking anybody any questions, without bothering anybody. Um, so go get a little bit of experience or be able to show some value. There's like there's a really good channel on YouTube called Charisma on Command. And they talk about social skills, how to build your charisma, how to build your confidence, how to make better connections. And um their model basically for businesses get a big audience on YouTube and then get people to sign up for their email list. But when you sign up for their email list, he has this video that talks about like four ways to make a good impression. And he kind of hammers this home with this example of like, there's a pretty girl at a bar and every guy is coming up and doing the same thing. Show genuine interest to make a great, you know, so they show genuine interest. How's your day going? Whatever. And all of them get rebuffed. Right. Mm. Because that's what every schmuck does. And then the one that actually gets her attention is somebody who comes up and has something interesting about themselves to show. And maybe, you know, they're not doing it in a bragging way or overconfident way, but there's at least something that gets her interested because it's not just, hey, I'm interested in you, but I'm just like this weird blank slate that has really nothing to contribute to the conversation. So think about that in any interaction you have when you're trying to get tips from another business owner. I think it's an awesome analogy. I was just kind of taking that in. Um, so <laughs> the, I, I think we covered most of the things except for mm-hmm. one. Um, okay. and, and you both wrote it, uh, differentiation, differentiation. Um, mm-hmm. I know that, uh, a ton of people just literally copy exactly what Thomas does. I know the same happens for listen money matters. And I know that there's uh, coffee shops who just copy Starbucks. Why, why, you know, why do you need to be different? Well, why would I go to your new thing that I don't know about and I'm not, I don't have a habit for it if it's not offering anything different or better than what I already do know about? Like people are ingrained in their habits. They don't just wake up and go, I'm going to go to another coffee shop that offers the exact same value proposition as the thing I'm already used to. You have to shake them out of their habits And you do that by offering something different, novel, or something that they want, or you address a pain point, or you make it more convenient, or you do something that is better or more interesting than the competition. Well, so what what about this? Like, what if there was, you had never been to a personal finance website before, and there was Listen Money Matters, and there was Listen Listen Money Matters, right? (laughs) And then- (laughs) That's just a more confusing, less memorable name. Well, and so Listen, Listen Money Matters always copies exactly what Listen Money Matters does. And so you discover it, and it's great because, you know, they're both the same. But Listen, Listen Money Matters is always behind Listen Money Matters because they're copying. 
Um, yeah, so they're going to be completely banned from Google and they're going to suck, you know? <laughs> and there's another thing with a differentiation. Like, you don't have to differentiate just to poach the customers of your competition. You can differentiate to get people to become customers who had never had an intention of being customers in that industry in the first place. Uh, yeah. So anyway, before we stop this podcast, two things that are on my mind I have to get out. Number one, we talked about, you mentioned franchises, Mark. Yep. Um, and you mentioned that he had, the franchise fee for whatever franchise your friend was opening was $500,000. Yeah, and I'm- That I'm sounds like a McDonald's now, to me. I would give, bet you McDonald's like a million dollars these days, but it was, oh, it was something big. Like, it, yeah. was, it was like a Dunkin' Donuts. It was something that you know was sizable, and this was probably 15 years ago. Okay. I know that when I was in high school, McDonald's was still still charging five hundred thousand, but maybe they've changed. Um, what's interesting to me is that Chick Fil A charges five thousand dollars as their mm-hmm. franchise fee, which is really interesting. Yeah, but I think they uh, they also require the potential owner to invest a lot more in like a building and stuff like that. Uh, and we could, I think we could do an, an episode on franchising because there's a couple different models of franchising. There's like the business owner who wants to get into franchising to own several franchises and basically build a business empire off of buying and running franchises. But there's also like the kind of career model where you open a franchise and you run it, not really with the intention of of handing the reins over to somebody else, but you run it. And there are businesses out there. Uh, I believe Chick-fil-A is one of them who basically state explicitly like this is not a franchising opportunity for somebody who just wants to hand the reins over to someone else. We want an owner operator who's actually in there doing the work every single day. So if you're thinking about a franchise, you have to do your research and figure out like do the owners of this business actually have the same priorities and values that I have for what I want. The other thing I was thinking about is uh, I told you I was going to tie this back to Listen Money Matters podcast. So you're saying like, hey, we might want to do the same thing you're doing, Thomas, and do the uh, podcast over on YouTube to open it up to a new audience. But all this SEO considerations, descriptions, all this stuff, it's all like- I'm mired in the details. Again, it's MVP, Andrew. Mm. It doesn't matter if you put up a few videos that don't have optimal descriptions. And I can tell you, you could have asked me, descriptions don't really fucking matter. Like, So just put some videos up there and then like- You'll get some responses. You'll see what it looks like. And then the next video you put up, it'd be like, maybe I can make the description a little better. Or maybe we forgot to upload the thumbnail. Okay, we'll go do that. You know, it's a really good point because uh, like we put stuff out every week, new episodes, always building things. But even still, like you get caught in your head of just like, you just got to push it out there. And and if it sucks, people will Mm -hmm. tell you. But more often, people will appreciate the good end of it. Yeah. Mark, what kind of wine are you drinking? I am drinking Apothic Red, which is a very deep, dark red. Okay. Um, very good. Very nice. Forgot to, we always forget to ask the guests what they're drinking. <laughs> so and like 75% of the time, Andrew says what he's drinking, and then he doesn't ask me what I'm drinking. I thought it was more like 99% of the time, but I can do it. <laughs> I think it is. But I think Andrew's come to like learn when we're not recording at night, I'm just drinking water or like some fancy sort of tea again. <laughs> I like never have a new drink. So that's why I was excited tonight. I actually can drink. But anyway, get those podcasts up on YouTube, dude. I will watch it. Keep you accountable. I guess I'm part of this business too. So it's in my best interest to expand that. Um, do you think we covered it pretty well guys? Yeah, I, I think 
I think we did. I think just from a touch to the surface, these are the 20 things you need to think about. Um, I think you could certainly do a deeper dive if you wanted to. Awesome. So, so tell me what because we're going to do another one, and uh, you're gonna you're gonna lead us through the jungle. Uh, what's the deeper dive component? I think that the deeper dive is just the numbers part of it. You know, let me put to a piece of paper the numbers, and you know, we could do a couple of examples. One is you know, a service type of job versus you know, brick and mortar, and what are the what are the things you need to think about and putting those numbers you know to paper. So we could do that. And, and it's, it's really, and there's so many resources out there that are good, qualified resources you get off the internet that are free, that will give you the tools you need. You don't need to be a mathematician, an accountant, or a lawyer to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to recommend people, if you're like serious about starting a business, The Personal MBA is a great book. And I have only read the summary for The Lean Startup, but like The Lean Startup is talked about in every startup circle. It's like a really well-known book. And, um, I think it would be worth at least like checking out. I can link to some spark notes kind of like summary kind of thing into the show notes of this episode, but it's also just a good book to check out. And I do think you should really think about like, how can I MVP this and then just get data and rapidly test and go through that test cycle where I get more and more data and just slowly shift my product to where it should be. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you can find our toolbox with book recommendations. Maybe those books will be on the library shelf at some point soon in the future and all of our other favorite apps and tools for managing your money and also building a business. If you're going to do it online over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox, you can email us your questions about this topic or any other money related topic at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. Andrew, you have anything else we should add? Um, we head out? I think that's pretty solid, and we're going to have all the details in the show notes. Um, so if you want to know, like, the 12 business types and, and all that good stuff. Sweet. So, yeah, head over to listenmoneymatters.com slash show, and you can find the show notes for this episode on that page. Check out those show notes. We'll have links to all that good stuff. And until next week, we will see you all later. Later, man. Please tell your friends about this show. <laughs>